Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. One of the thematic verses of this podcast is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says there's something that happens when we contemplate Yahweh's glory, God's glory, the I am's glory. That's what Paul is talking about when he uses that word, the Lord's glory. He's using that Hebrew way of saying the word Yahweh by his time and his age. When the Apostle Paul says the Lord in the New Testament, he's using that euphemism that the Hebrews had done by his day, the Jews had done by his day, where that's how they said the word Yahweh. And that's why it comes across that way. And so he's saying, and we all who contemplate the I am's glory, God's glory, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? That as we contemplate God's glory, that something is happening to us. We ourselves are being transformed into his ever increasing glory, his image the image of Christ, this image that we were created in, but somehow got distorted through sin. We still are created in God's image, but it is a shadow of that image. And we are going to be fully restored in the resurrection when we are raised from the dead, when Jesus returns. But we're even now being transformed to an ever-increasing glory into his image with ever-increasing glory. When you look at the logo or the graphic of this podcast, that's exactly what that's showing. As we look up and contemplate the Lord's glory, and the Lord's glory is shown there by the, in a sense, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, Zion, this, this poetic image of the kingdom of heaven in the Old Testament. And it's coming down upside down, but actually it's right side up. We're the ones who are upside down. And so as we contemplate the Lord's glory, you can see the color coming into our lives. Our, we lift up our eyes and his glory is transforming our lives, even while those who have their heads down around us are still living as shadow people. Kind of dramatic, but it's really trying to show this verse. And that's what we're doing in this podcast. Now, the context of this verse in 2 Corinthians really is talking about Paul and those who aren't seeing God's glory in Christ are are being under a spell of demonic power. So Paul says in verse 14, but their minds were made dull. And he talks about a veil is over their mind. And even to this day, when Moses is read, when, when the Old Testament is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a Spirit. And then a few verses down in 2 Corinthians 4.3, 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so Paul's talking here about a kind of spell that is cast, a veil that is over hearts and minds that blinds people from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, that they don't see, even if they understand the gospel, they don't see the glory of God in it. It's not significant. It's not glorious. It's not beautiful to them because somehow, in some way, the God of this age has blinded their minds, has put a veil over their minds and hearts, has cast a spell on them, so to speak. It might be another way to say it. And whenever anybody turns to the Lord, that spell is being broken to some degree. And as we contemplate the Lord's glory, it's being broken more and more in our life. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Spirit. So it seems to me what the Apostle Paul is saying is that one key thing for us to do is to learn to routinely, regularly practice what it means to contemplate the Lord's glory. When I first became a Christian, those who taught me the Christian life taught me how to have something called a quiet time. And it was called a quiet time because the idea was to get a separate somewhere. In a sense, what Jesus says, go into your room, shut the door, be with your father who sees you in secret, that we're trying to separate ourselves from all the other distractions, all the noise, and to have a time where we are in quiet and in some sense where God says, be still and know that I am God. We're trying to get ourselves still and to contemplate the Lord's glory so that we can be transformed with ever-increasing glory. And what you do in a quiet time is to read the Word of God, contemplate God's glory, pray, whatever that would be. We've talked about this even in the last episode or a couple episodes ago. We talked about what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And there's a great little episode there at the end of kind of a, the, the word C-A-L-L, how to have a quiet time how to pray on a regular basis. But one of the things we want to do in a quiet time is read scripture. And a great place to go is in the Psalms. The Psalms are a great place to contemplate the Lord's glory. Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. We can tell that the Psalms were a favorite place for Jesus to contemplate the Lord's glory, to have this prayer with the Father. He quotes the Psalms from memory, and we can see how he applied them to himself. It says in Luke 24, we've read this verse before in this podcast, but I want to read it again. After Jesus rose from the dead, he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scripture concerning himself, that Jesus says all the Old Testament is telling this one story of the Messiah, this always talking about the one story that leads us to Jesus. And so it says later, a few verses down in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you 
when I was still with you. In other words, when I was still, before I was crucified, I, I said these things. And here it is. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So the law of Moses being the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the prophets are the other books. And then he says specifically the Psalms, that the Psalms are leading us to Jesus. What is written in the Psalms is a place where we can see this, what Jesus says, what is written about me. We see that in the Psalms. And that is particularly true when we look at certain Psalms like Psalm 118. There's just all kinds of verses that leap out to us and speak to us and speak for us. So it's going to be one of those Psalms as you go to the Psalms over the years in your life that, and you mark different verses, you're going to come back to Psalm 118 a lot. But one of the reasons why Psalm 118 is an amazing Psalm is remember these Psalms 113 through 118 were what's called the Egyptian Hallel. Their Hallel being the Hebrew word for praise. They were used, it's called Egyptian Hallel because it's used as an observance by the Jews for Passover. So in Jesus's day, the Jews we're reading through Psalms 113 through 118 as part of the observance of Passover. Remember, the last week of Jesus's life was Passover week. And Psalm 118 has lots of different places that are quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. They're quoted by, there's some verses quoted by Peter in Acts and in 1 Peter. And there's verses quoted by the Apostle Paul. So Psalm 118 was a favorite place to go for early Christians, but it's also on the lips of Jews, on the minds of Jews, and on the lips of Jesus the last week of his life, because they are observing Passover, and Psalm 118 is the last and final of these psalms that would have been hymns sung and psalms read by Jews during Passover week. And it really is amazing how this psalm is a psalm that is leading us to the truth of what Jesus accomplished during Passover week. And we're going to talk about that in an upcoming episode. But today, I just want to look at the first four verses of this psalm. I have to lay that foundation first so that the other parts make sense because the first four verses are sort of the whole thematic point of what happens in the rest of the psalm. So we're going to take a few episodes to look fully at Psalm 118. Now, I think it's really important, and when you read these first four verses, that you understand that you're not going to be able to live the Christian life unless you believe these four verses. These four verses are sort of the foundational truth you're going to have to believe if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to be able to call upon the name of the Lord, if you're going to be somebody who contemplates the Lord's glory and lives a life with ever-increasing being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of God, you're going to have to believe the truth that is said in these four verses. Let me read them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the I Am, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Now, that's not a new verse to you. It says the exact same thing. We looked at it in Psalm 106, verse 1, Psalm 107, verse 1. 
O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. This is kind of like belief in Yahweh, belief in the I Am 101. Your picture of God, your contemplating the Lord's glory has to begin with these foundational truths that the I Am is good and that his steadfast love for you endures forever. It lasts forever. There's no end to it. It will never end. It will never cease. This idea, this give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever, is sort of a summary of when God proclaims his name to Moses in Exodus 34. And it says that God came to Moses in the cloud and stood there with him in verse 5 and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, the I am, which is the Hebrew verb for he is. And it says he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and I'm just going to do it in the way that it might have sounded. He is, he is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so you have this very definition of God proclaiming his name, that the very essence of God's name, that he is the I am, at the very essence of what that means is that he is the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and who is abounding, like a fountain that's overflowing, that's never ceasing, that never ceases to gush out love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, we read the story of Solomon and the Israelites dedicating this temple that Solomon had built, dedicating it to Yahweh. And we pick up in verse 13, it says, The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, to the I Am. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the I Am, praise to the Lord, and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. This is that phrase we're reading here. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, this cloud being the Holy Spirit, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. That God's very presence fills those words, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So later in chapter 7, again, this is the same dedication of the temple. It says in verse 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, this presence of God in fire and, and the cloud, come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, gave thanks to Yahweh, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
This phrase, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, is sort of like the Bible's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is a phrase that appears over and over again as the very essence of the nature of who the I am is. His presence with his people, his glory with his people, the Holy Spirit, when he fills the temple, fills the temple with these words, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So when it says, let Israel say, remember, that's a promise to you that Israel ultimately is fulfilled in Christ. And those who are in Christ become the descendants of Israel, become the descendants of Abraham. Paul says this in Galatians 3, Romans chapter 4, other places. So ultimately, when you're looking at the one story of the Bible and how Jesus goes back to the Psalms and says everything written in the Psalms, about me must be fulfilled. And all of this is about this one story. So let Israel say is the same thing as saying, let you say, you being in Christ, you part of the Israel of the redeemed people of God, the bigger story. So let you say, speak it. His steadfast love endures forever. It will never end. And saying it, Speaking it, we now know because of just neuroscience that the speaking of words has a direct impact on the rewiring of our brain. This neuroplasticity means that the brain is constantly rewiring itself. And the things that cause our brain to wire itself the most are words that we say. What we say has such an impact on the wiring of our brain. And so really literally saying out loud, I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It actually wires our brain to correspond to the reality of who God is for us. In other words, we're taking these verses and we're saying, I give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good, and the belief that he is good to you, that his steadfast love for you endures forever. It will never end. God's steadfast love for you will never end. In every circumstance, God has this infinite steadfast love for you, and he is good to you. Now, here's the question. What if you really believed this? What if you trusted it is true? Trusted what Jesus was saying, that everything in these psalms must be fulfilled, and that Jesus had the highest view of these psalms that we should have too, that they were written by the Holy Spirit. And that what if you really trusted it is true? What if you really lived as if this truth were true for you personally? That God, his love for you will endure forever. That he is always, always good in his will for you. Always good in what he is doing in his life. That you can trust him to always be good and to always be motivated by his steadfast love for you forever. The Apostle Paul talks about this, exactly this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us, us, you and me, us specifically, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him 
who loved us. So in other words, we're going through these things. These things are hard. These things make life very difficult. But in all of it, we are still inside God's goodness and God's love for us. He's got this bigger picture. We have no idea, but we have to trust these words are true that in our hardship, in our trouble, in all of these things, God is still working in our lives according to his love for us that will never end. So verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what if you really believed that? What if you really trusted that to be true, even in your hardships, that nothing is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for you? This story that we're reading about, even in a psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus was born, or at least centuries before Jesus was born, and was around at the time of Jesus, that Jesus would go to this psalm, and Jesus would use this psalm in his own life with the Father, his own prayer life, his own contemplating the Lord's glory, and that he knew this psalm so well, as we will see in a future episode, that he could quote it verbatim in conversations. And of course, she was quoting it as applying to him, as pointing to him. And the reason why it's pointing to him is because that's part of what God's overall plan is, because he is good and his steadfast love for you endures forever. This psalm is ultimately about Jesus and what God is going to do for you in Jesus. And that nothing, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, is going to be able to separate you from the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. You have to believe this if you're going to walk with God, that he is good and that his steadfast love for you endures forever. And so the very first words, give thanks to the I am for he is good, that we would have this life of, of joy in this truth, even in hardship, that we would have this life of love because we're living in the love that endures forever. So we're able to love others because we're not trying to get love. We are operating out of this full cup, this fountain of God's love that endures forever. We know that we are loved by the God who created this universe. We are loved by he is, the one who is the creator of everything and the author of life and who inhabits eternity and always present with us is the one who loves us with this infinite love. When we really believe that, when we live as if this truth were true, we're able to love others and have a life of love and joy and gratitude, appreciation. Oh, give thanks that we have this life of gratitude and love and joy. That's what your life would look like and more, but that's what your life would look like if we really believed this is true. If you believed this is true, trusted in these words, trusted that these words were true, that God's word is speaking to you. Let it break through the noise of everything trying to put a veil over your mind and heart from keeping you from seeing the love of God for you and the glory of God in the face of Christ, the glory of God in the gospel of what God is doing for you and bringing you into this story of his goodness and forever love. That nothing, no one, 
in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. This love for you that will never end. It will be a fountain that never ends. An infinite fountain of love for you and goodness. That you can have security in this love. That you can have gratitude for having this abundant, abounding love that will never end. That you can live in joy knowing that you live in this love and his goodness and his will for you. And so we lift our eyes and we contemplate the Lord's glory. Oh, Yahweh, the I am. You are the I am. And I lift my eyes and I contemplate your glory. I come to you through Jesus. I come to you because of what Jesus has done. I know that you are 100% present with me, 100% focused on me with the goodness of who you are as the I am, the abounding steadfast love of who you are as the I am. And so I come before you in security. I come before you in joy and confidence. And I come before you in gratitude and appreciation. And I lift my eyes and I contemplate your glory to break through the veil, to break through the spell, to break through the blindness that sometimes covers my mind just because of the cultural noise and because of the God of this age and the forces of darkness that are constantly trying to lead my mind astray, to lure me away from the simplicity and purity of my devotion to Christ because you are devoted to me. You are eternally committed to me. You are all in because you became human in the person of Jesus so that you could bring me into this bigger story. And I contemplate your glory. I contemplate your eternal, infinite goodness for me. I contemplate your eternal, infinite, steadfast love for me. I say with my mouth, Your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love for me endures forever. In every circumstance in my life, your steadfast love for me endures forever. Your goodness to me endures forever because that's who you are. And I trust in who you are. And I live as if this truth were true, true for me. Trusting it to be true for me, even when I have trouble, as Paul says, even when I have hardship, even in death, even in the worst case scenario in this life, none of these things are separating me from your eternal goodness for me and your eternal steadfast love for me. I can trust you. Even when I can't see how it's all working together, I can trust you that you are good toward me and that your eternal steadfast love for me endures forever. And so I give thanks to you. Thank you. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your goodness for me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for suffering for me. So that my suffering means something. It's not meaningless, but it brings me into your goodness. It brings me into your steadfast love. It will not have the last word. Your last word comes with your steadfast love and your goodness. And so I say, I speak it. 
Your steadfast love endures forever for me. Your goodness endures forever for me. Your steadfast love for me endures forever. Your steadfast love for me endures forever. It repeats it three, four times in these first four verses. And so I repeat it because repetition always helps me enter into the reality of its truth more and more. I give thanks to you and praise you and contemplate your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.